Hey everyone, this is the third episode in Z Prime on the Grid's series of interviews sponsored by Black and Veege. Thanks once again to Chris Moyer for hosting, and check back in a few weeks for the fourth and final installation. This is another episode of On the Grid by Z Prime. Love your energy. Hello and welcome to a special joint Z Prime Now and Z Prime On the Grid production. I'm Chris Moyer. Thank you so much for joining us today. In North America, the last six months has been a collective experiment in how to safely balance work and public health. The collective challenge we face is how organizations maintain the health, safety, uh, and privacy of individuals where they work and still support customers during COVID-19. Utilities that emerged successfully from this pandemic will share one thing in common, the deployment of the appropriate set of physical, medical, and digital solutions that provide individual safety while preserving the businesses, the business of that organization. To discuss business continuity and the future of work, I'm joined by David Price, CTO of Black and Beach, and Ed White, Chairman and CEO of Field to Base, David, Ed, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks very much. Great to be here. So let's dive right in and, and talk about utilities and business continuity. I, I think as the three of us are, are having this conversation, we reflect back nine months ago now at the start of 2020, uh, not even the smartest of us was predicting the level of disruption that COVID-19 has brought to the industry. However, utilities have always had a culture of reliability and a culture of planning and, and resiliency for emergency events. David, starting with you, what have utilities done well in their response to COVID-19? I, um, I think they've performed very well in all those areas we've come to expect the, uh, the business to do so. Um, they were obviously up to the immediate challenge of having to turn on a dime, reorganize operations. They successfully maintained field operations while rethinking the way they were providing customer service, even though they were effectively sending all their employees home to work from home and, and still are. And I can actually t attest from a personal experience in that much of the ongoing project work that was in flight, somehow they've managed to find ways to continue that activity. I, for one, have been working on a project with a major utility remotely now since uh, February, and we're still, you know, we're still cracking along. So I think from that perspective, they've responded incredibly well. And then on a, on a more social basis, I think some of the moratoriums that were introduced around uh, billing and collections and so on, again, they kind of exemplify what we've come to expect from the role utilities play in a crisis like this. So I think overall, the initial response was handled incredibly well. Yes, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that, that idea of those moratoriums on payments and shutoffs uh, for, for customers who have been struggling with, with more than 40 million Americans having at, at some point during this economic uh, recession and crisis, having filed for unemployment. Uh, the utilities took it on themselves to do that. There, it wasn't mandated by public service or public utility commissions. This was something that was... a, a a collective action by the industry, which I think is exemplary. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Ed, I want to pick up on another point that David made, and, and that was the idea of business continuity and the utility response uh, that, that they have taken to, to innovate through the crisis in, in these first few months. What, what are some of those steps that have, have been most innovative uh, as, as they approach uh, how to deal with COVID-19? I think, uh, Chris, you start with uh, look at the background of utilities. Uh, they've really done a very good job over many years in dealing with catastrophic events that uh, are widespread over areas such as hurricanes and so forth. They're very good at mobilizing their neighboring utilities, uh, contractors and so forth to deal with that. And I, I really think that a little bit of what's happened here is that when the pandemic started, uh, a little bit of that mindset was there as well, that it was something maybe a short-term uh, event or short-term things that they would deal with, uh, working at home and so forth. And one thing that you're going to probably hear me echo a couple of times is, is that the life of this pandemic has gone way beyond what was expected. But the other thing that's happened is that where they used to be able to rely on their neighboring utilities and so forth to help them in, in the things like dealing with hurricanes, all those utilities are dealing with their own problems with the pandemic. And so the resources aren't there to go around to pull in and, and, and help them. And, and where they originally, I think, thought that, you know, this is probably going to be a short-term issue dealing with, I think the mindset now is moving very much more to this is going to be an ongoing and we don't know how long it's going to be. No one really does. But I believe that they're doing work now to prepare them for either an extended COVID-19 pandemic and another version of this pandemic or others come down the pike. So I think they'll be much better suited for future events than they were with this one, to be honest. Well, I think that's a great point. And, and we certainly have seen some of that joint cooperation uh, strained and stressed, although utilities are still very committed to that with, with some of the hurricanes in the early part of the hurricane season. Uh, but, but now as we project out, it is, it is very clear that, that the pandemic is, is not going to uh, dissipate wholly uh, in 2020, and it's going to be with us for a while. So this is a question for both of you, and David, I, I'd like you to, to, to tackle it first. How do we address, we as the industry, address and manage a new level of health and safety imperatives as this pandemic goes on? And, and how long should utilities be planning for the virus to impact customers and business operations? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, that's a, that's a multifaceted response. I mean, first and foremost, I think we're going to see a permanent change in certain aspects of ways well, everyone runs businesses and then um, obviously particularly utility businesses. And where are those changes going to show up? I think we're going to see new long-term requirements around how we manage interacting and monitoring our overall employees' health, our contracting organizations that, that come into either offices or work locations, as well as those people who just come in and out on a regular basis as visitors. So I think you're going to see a permanent shift in the manner and functionality of solutions around identity and access management for people. I think you'll see the same thing occur around the types of things in place that govern whether people actually get into or out of offices, work locations, you know, and then of course for utilities in particular, how on earth are we going to run the day-to-day -day lives of our crews when they show up to get in their vehicle on a daily basis? I think we'll see those areas uh, are effectively, I think, going to be permanently changed. And, and uh, I think, you know, as Ed has said, that permanent change is going to absorb, you know, 
future um, outbreaks and other types of issues in a way that we kind of soldiered through in the past. So I think there are going to be permanent digital, physical and other types of changes that will have to be implemented in the long run. And what are your thoughts hearing David talk about those, those digital and physical changes? How, how, would, how do you feel the industry is going to address the long-term health and safety imperatives of this pandemic? I agree with David. I think it's going to be an ongoing uh, way of doing business in the future. Some people consider it to be post 9-11. We don't really know at this point in time. But when you think about it, uh, we do know there's other mutations of the COVID-19 uh, virus that's coming down the pike. So we don't know what that means yet, obviously. And I think, uh, you know, from a technology standpoint, utilities are pretty resilient in surviving a lot of things thrown at them. The one thing that they, they're going to have to deal with in this world, though, is going to be how do they manage the, uh, the legal and regulatory risk associated with dealing with the pandemic again. And, and mm -hmm. I'll talk a little bit later about some of the costs and things that show up on a utility that they've never had to deal with before. And you, you think about the cost of masks. I mean, I've talked to a few utility execs. They said, you know, we're, we're spending an unbelievable amount of money just buying face masks for employees today. And so there's a lot of things when you think about the, the, the legal risk of lawsuits, regulatory risk, and so forth. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going to have to be addressed going forward. I agree. And I think in particular, even, even when one considers the advent of vaccines, the, there is no way, obviously, even when one arrives, it won't be sort of universally available everywhere. The whole process of introducing that, managing, and deciding what impact the vaccine's existence has on those processes. That's just another layer that we're going to have to absorb on, on top of the existing changes. Yep. Well, well, that's a great point. And I, and I think it is a, a natural segue into discussing how we work in new ways with this knowledge that we are going to have to deal with ramifications due to this pandemic for the foreseeable future. Utilities have the opportunity to pause and pivot. Not everything that they were doing from an operational and a customer delivery perspective was the right approach on January 1st or March 1st or, or, or whatever of 2020. Another question that I, that I want to, to have both of you tackle, um, and Ed, I, I, I'm gonna shoot this one to you first. What are some of those key lessons that utilities should be taking in this new uh, way of working? I, I think a fundamental change is going to be um, how do you support uh, remote workers? You know, if you think about it historically, uh, most people in a utility that they go into, uh, they're out, go into the, uh, the I'll say garages, their workshops, so forth, pick up work orders, pick up material, and they leave and go out, do work, and they come back in. And so I think as you go forward, uh, you're going to see the use of mobile technology much more, uh, very robust communications to support those mobile workers. But you're probably going to try to minimize touch points of people having to come in and pick up uh, work orders, pick up material and so forth uh, when you got something like a pandemic. But I think the benefit of it will be that you'll see utilities operating in a much more cost effective manner by having people out closer to the jobs they're doing and work they're doing out there. So you'll probably see some benefits and productivity coming out of this as a necessity to, to work remotely, which they've not necessarily done before. Well, that's a great point. I, David, what are, you, what are your thoughts? I mean, Ed makes the, 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 the really valuable point that maybe the old way of doing things where you show up uh, at first thing, 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, get your work orders for the day, and then head out into the field 
isn't necessarily the most efficient way uh, to operate as a utility field crew. What are, what are some other lessons or, or picking up on that particular lesson that you, you hope utilities take from this? Well, I think, yeah, I, I think building on that, uh, I believe that that will actually cause an even greater sort of um, swing towards more and more uh, comprehensive solutions for collecting better and better data as well. Um, I think to a, to a certain extent, um, historically, the use of mobile computing in utility companies has tended to be restricted to, you know, field operations staff and very, very specific types of tasks. I think, as Ed says, the fact that everyone is being shifted towards a sort of mobile first thought process, that's going to affect the way we design and build some of the, even the call center, call handling, um, interaction systems, as well as those things that are used by people who go out on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think that's one, one area. I, I also think that uh, we'll be looking at how some of these temporary processes that were put in place around um, tracking our individuals and the types of declarations and things that we've got people doing today, how those affect the way we do our start of day and during the day, our processes while in the field, as how people arrive at locations. As, as I mentioned, I think we'll see opportunities to rethink even simple functions like access management to power plant and so on. I think this is a great opportunity to start looking at new digital identity management approaches that start to do away with some of the old card systems and stovepipe systems we have around access management and control. And then finally, I think the other thing we're already seeing, and I, I'm, I'm very hopeful that this will create an even bigger bow wave is this whole pandemic caused us all to look at how to start connecting hardware devices with our digital apps. You know, the first wave was just building apps. And now we're increasingly looking at, well, how do I integrate all the devices I'm using to the things I report my work on? And probably the best example, obviously, is what's been going on in temperature checking and how that integrates with digital applications that govern access. I think what we'll see is given that that sort of that, that wedge has been driven into that space. This will open up the door to a lot of sort of pent up demand for connections to welding equipment or other types of equipment that people have on their vehicles or even other types of device that are available within the office. So I think there's a number of areas in which um, as we transition to accepting that kind of this may well be part of the landscape, we rethink what we mean by identity management Something uh, Ed and I have done a great deal about in the past has been uh, the relationship of operation operator qualifications to individual people's identity and how that reflects how it needs to be reflected in the data collection process of doing work. I can see all of those things being revisited, um, ironically, just because of the, the big stone that was thrown in the lake, you know, this year with COVID. Well, I, I, I'm going to pick up on something that, that you mentioned with the idea of temperature checks. And, and now, uh, just in the last week, uh, the FDA is, is looking at uh, saliva-based tests. And, and uh, Michael, Dr. Michael Mina, who is the head of the Harvard Public uh, School of Health, has been advocating now for, for several months of this idea of cheap, uh, relatively inexpensive, tests that an individual, a professional uh, could take on a daily basis. 
uh, that's something that could also be integrated into some of this uh, identity management and keeping people mm -hmm. safe uh, from a public health perspective, both the customer and the, the worker. I agree. Yeah, I, I wonder, I would be remiss if, if I didn't ask you both a little bit about the technology side. Uh, you, you alluded to it, both of you alluded to it, but I, I know that, that Field to Base and, and Black and & Veatch have been working on some te technological solutions, some software solutions. Could you um, both share some of that, that vision and that idea of how you can use software and technology to integrate with culture and process? Sure, Ed? Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll be glad to go first. As you know, Chris, we've been working with Black & Veatch on uh, building a digital solution to manage uh, back to work, starting with really Black & Veatch's employees, 18,000 worldwide, uh, over about 120 offices, you know, which is a major effort in itself. But uh, what really started out as kind of being an idea that this may be a, a quick and dirty solution to get people back to work, we really now understand it's really managing employees during an ongoing pandemic. And some of it uh, that we've done was to use our underlying field of base technology, which is used very much in the utility industry today, to, uh, to build uh, a series of apps that would let us uh, kind of look at CDC guidelines, uh, individual state guidelines, and look at declarations that employees or contractors could do to kind of uh, qualify what's their current health conditions relative to the pandemic. Uh, the ability to pick up test results from COVID-19 and the approach that we've really taken working with BV is kind of a holistic approach. It's not just temperature. It's not just decorations. It's really try, uh, really integrating testing. It's integrating temperature. It's integrating your, your, what you've done over the last day. And then looking at that and saying, okay, uh, if I've got 20 or 30,000 employees, I'd like to be able to, uh, to clear as many as I could to go back to work, which we, which we can do and focus on the ones that are either symptomatic or have underlying conditions that you really need to focus on. You, you can't look at every employee when you've got 20 or 30,000 in a major utility. You, you can have got a few hundred, but, but not that many. Hmm. And, and it's, I think it's that, that ability to do ongoing communications. And the one thing you got to remember, just look at UNC Chapel Hill, went back to school. And the first thing that the kids do, they're all are healthy. They go out to a party and next thing you know, they shut the campus down. And, and so even when you think about testing today, the testing tells you your status right now, but you and I know that if you go out uh, with a group tonight and you get exposed, that test is not near as meaningful as it was because your conditions changed. And so what we're seeing is really a, a way for employees to, uh, to, uh, re to recertify themselves essentially every day because their conditions change every day. And, and then that leads into things you know, like the ability to do contact tracing. You know, we spend a lot of time trying to understand if you have a job site, and let's just say that you're Duke Energy, and you've got 50 people working at it and a welder shows up and they've been infected and you find out three days later, you really need to go back and very quickly identify who all was on that site so they can go get tested before they turn around and infect a lot of other people. And that's really how this pandemic spread so quickly is because you go three or four days, people pick up the virus and they hand it off many times over before somebody addresses it. And David, you may well know that as well because yes. this is part and soul of what we've been working on. I think the, you know, building on what Ed said is as it became very clear that what started out as a whole series of disparate activities, we, we started looking at access control. We were looking at personnel declarations. We were looking at uh, testing and tracing. That's very rapidly turned into a more sort of enterprise strategy to what sort of physical infrastructure you need with hardware 
to think, do things such as temperature controls and temperature monitoring? How does all that integrate and get pulled together? And essentially the, the digital glue we created with Filterbase has been designed to basically weave all of that together to allow people to implement whatever policy they want to put in place in how people interact with them. What are we asking them to report on a regular basis? How do we keep them up to date as to their status in the eyes of the organization? And then on the other hand, how are we implementing access controls? So the, the digital strategy was to create two sort of complementary platforms. One, managing things like um, access, uh, access numbers. Many organizations, although they want to open their offices, are also trying to in, limit the number of people who come back. And in order to do that, when you, like Ed said, when you have thousands of people, you can't do that by phone and you can't do that by email. You have to have automated systems where people can draw on their boarding passes, draw on an availability and automate that process. So much of what we've created with a platform called Vivoperate with field to base and a platform called RAMS was this integrated physical and digital infrastructure. And as I mentioned before, largely because we believe where, where the rubber will meet the road will not so much now be to do with how we reacted initially or even how we slowly brought everyone back. It's going to be all about how organizations respond when inevitably something happens and how quickly they can zoom in and isolate whatever group of people that might be, whatever location that might be, and then most importantly, have automated plans to follow it. You'll appreciate, you know, our corporate headquarters has 5,000 people. Um, if something, goodness, you know, God forbid, happened there, the ability to truly figure out out of 5,000 people, which individuals on a particular uh, band of 14 days do we need to concentrate on, and not just our own people, which contractors were at that location, who might have been visiting that location in that time frame. So very much what our our solutions are, are about is that enterprise management strategy for you know how these things are going to be dealt with in the in the months and years ahead uh, and and that that is such a great point using technology to help break chains of transmission to 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 reduce the the risk to individuals to reduce the risks to organizations at large uh, and and on that idea of, of risk management, David, governments, regulators, customers, uh, and investors for those investor-owned utilities are demanding that utilities mitigate risk. What are some of those key steps that utilities should be taking to meet those stakeholder demands? I think that builds on some of the points um, I was sort of sharing a moment ago, is if we look at specifically around this new normal around health management, you've got these fundamentally, at the moment at least, sort of this friction point between the, uh, particularly uniquely almost in the US, the um, right to privacy that probably is the most, uh, the most uh, uh, prevalent here in, in, in the US beyond sort of almost any other country in the world. But you set that right to privacy against um, the need to safeguard the wider employee base and community at large, and, and of course, ultimately safeguard your business. And I think um, in order to manage those um, issues, A, it's got to be some sort of enterprise automated approach to that. It's really going to be about putting things in place that allow you to, on the one hand, 
collect the information the business needs without crossing that fine line that perhaps gets into some of the other privacy concerns. A good example of that is this ongoing debate between the, the term contact tracing and risk management is clearly, we, we, we've sort of taken the view that for most organizations, detailed low level contact tracing is, is a very worthy cause and needs to happen. But, but if you think about it from a risk perspective, if most organizations, if they discovered somebody tested positive in one of our offices, chances are we're going to take a pretty broad approach to whatever safeguards or risk mitigation we're going to put in place in terms of testing or, or other measures to just ensure our employees' health, the visitors and any contractors working <laughs> that location. Because that's in a way that we can present to shareholders, to regulators that the, the necessary precautions are being taken. And I think at, at this stage of the game, most organizations are probably going to err on the side of conservatism. And then as the technology gets better and better, and more importantly, more economical to deploy, I think we'll see our ability to get more and more granular and sniper focused on being able to zoom in on, on how to deal with an outbreak. But I think all of those things require a company to be able to portray some sort of an integrated enterprise approach to digitally managing the whole issue. And, and proving how quickly they can respond when, when you inevitably something happens. And pretend for just a second that, that I am a, a senior utility executive and, and I'm trying to take what David has just described as this risk analysis. Uh, how should I be balancing my uh, precious economic resources, my need to invest in new digital and physical systems to effectively mitigate that risk? That's a, a really good question, Chris, and I think there's a great analogy I'm going to give to you. Uh, and the, I live in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, and we have hurricanes to go through here more often than we like. And if, if you think about hurricanes like uh, Katrina, Sandy, Florence, and others, Utilities are used to dealing with catastrophic events. And, and so when that happens, uh, there's something called storm expense. And so there's no uh, expense spared to mobilize neighboring utilities, contractors to mobilize a huge workforce, come back in and very quickly, uh, clean up the mess, uh, get power lines back up, get power back on. And, and the regulators will let them recover that as a storm expense. When you think about uh, what that means, and I'm gonna give you a little analogy to go with that. Uh, some of it's perception. Uh, Hurricane Sandy hit the Northeast. National Grid got fined $18 million for being, by, by the perception men that were too slow to respond to response to Sandy. That dwarfs what they spent on cleanup and getting power back on. Think about the fires in California that the, our good friends at PG&E have been dealing with. And, and, and the, even though PG&E spent tons of money and they've done a lot of things, the fact that uh, that caught them, uh, their expenses for legal, the legal ex expenses, uh, what the regulators did to them, put them into bankruptcy, that overwhelmed anything that PG&E could have spent in trying to protect their, their transmission facilities and, and distribution networks and so forth. If you think about this pandemic and things and what's going on right now, uh, the cost of, of uh, implementing a solution to protect the employees, the co-workers, the company, is absolutely minimal compared to the lawsuits that will happen when you got, someone goes in, you got a bunch of people infected. 
I think there's some great analogies to look at when, when you look at the legal risk of, of an infection breakout where companies are not doing best practices to protect their employees. It's going to look very much like what's happened to those utilities, uh, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, dealing with uh, things like fires. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I appreciate those analogies and, and it, it certainly makes a lot of sense that, it, that an ounce of prevention is, is worth the, the pound of the cure. So, I, uh, I, I think that that resonate that would resonate certainly uh, very well with, with with me if I was sitting in that chair. Yeah. As as we now shift our our gaze to the future, and we look at at what's to come, not just as we deal with with this pandemic. Uh, there's some there's some considerations that we can be learning. There there are a lot of things that we should be taking away, and you've both touched on them. The, the truth is, right now. Everyone's back at work. We're not working in the, the same offices and in, in the same uh, exact uh, shape and form that we were doing in, in, in February. But are, we have to be considering, are we doing it the most effective and safe way? What happens to utilities that don't take this opportunity? David, I want you to pick up on what Ed was saying. What happens to those utilities that don't take this opportunity to invest in process, in technology, in their people uh, to address today's challenges? I think uh, you're, you're exactly right. Um, you know, we, we've mentioned numerous times the fact that um, many of these uh, solutions in place today are, are departmental or fragmented or address certain pieces of this problem. And I think the, uh, the overarching measure of these uh, of organizations as future events occur will come to a simple word speed of response coupled with accuracy and uh, quality of response that came from that speed and to the degree organizations have not invested in that ability to respond i think it will show up exactly the way ed said on numerous occasions people have either in the utility space are either penalized for not responding quickly enough and sometimes that also comes from not having the information you needed to respond quickly enough. So the analogies of the storms are great ones with the electric business. But if you think about the gas industry, in many cases where we've had uh, pipeline failures or other types of issues, oftentimes, you know, obviously the event itself is catastrophic enough and upsetting enough. But what adds insult to injury is when it takes weeks and months to understand how whatever that event affects the rest of their system. As you probably know in the, in the gas business, it's all about if something fails, where else have I put that thing that failed? How do I quickly put my finger on all the other places where that asset may have been deployed? You think about that analogy and apply it to, to an outbreak, the same thing applies. People are coming and going on a regular basis into all our locations, facilities, everywhere. Something happens, how long does it take a company? How do they access A, who are the people that may be affected? B, how do I turn that data into an action plan that's traceable and trackable that you can report on immediately and show the resolution and the management of that situation? And I think those companies that don't will run afoul of exactly the same sentiments we've been touching on earlier. That I think is a, is a critical risk mitigation um, move that, that utilities really need to think about in the months ahead. Ed, 
what role does innovation play in solving the challenges related, not just to the pandemic, but, and, and not just in this particular moment, but for the next 20 years of utility operations? And, uh, you know, it's very interesting uh, because when you think about utilities, there, there are so many things that mirror what's going on in reliability. And, and I always think about reliability in many ways. I mean, I've had uh, people look at rates. They said, what does that mean? I said, if rates are not stable, you got reliability issues for manufacturers. So I'm deviating just a little bit. But when I think about where utilities are today, uh, we now uh, have are getting great mobile technology. Uh, we're getting great communication, starting to move 5G communications networks and things that will really support a mobile workforce going forward. When I think about resiliency, uh, think about what's been going on right now in, in utilities, and part of it has been able uh, to distribute things like generation, distribute uh, you know, some of the things such as microgrids and so forth, so you're not totally dependent on central power plants, big transmission networks and so forth. So utilities are already moving to a smarter grid, if you will, to bring in renewable and so forth, uh, supplies and then also to be able to localize when you do have events and things like that. Uh, there's a couple of things to think about here. Uh, one of them is is that um, if you think about the, the pandemic uh, and compared to the hurricanes, I'll go back to that again, uh, people have been used to mobilizing people outside their own organization very quickly. But if you look at California today, there's two things going on. Uh, one of them is is that with the pandemic, uh, the, their neighboring states and utilities don't have people to come because they're dealing with their own issues. You look at the ability to have power available, and today there was a good article in, in the Wall Street Journal called California's Green Blackouts. And, and, and we know that the big move to go to, uh, to go to renewable energy, you take out baseload coal and, and uh, nuclear and those type things. And up until now, uh, utilities like PG&E, Edison and so forth are able to go to their neighboring states by power. Well, guess what? It's not available. Same thing's true now with the pandemic. They can't go to the neighboring states and pull workforces in like you can in a short-term event like fires and uh, uh, you know fires and hurricanes. And so the whole model is going to is going to have to really think about uh, how do you support a major utility in a little bit more of a closed environment or, or internally than you have in the past with this pandemic going on and also the ability to depend on your neighbors, which may or may not be there to support you. And I think those those are going to be. Uh, fundamental changes to the industry over the next 10 or 15 or 20 years. And the regulator's gonna to have to deal with this as well, big time. Well, this conversation, I know we could talk uh, for a, a lot longer on, on so many uh, ramifications and implications of what's happening in the industry at this moment and how that will resonate for years to come. But as, as, we, as we wrap up some of these thoughts right now, I want both of you to weigh in once again from a safety and operational best practice perspective. Where is the utility industry one year, three years, five years from now? David, uh, why don't you take the first crack at that? Sure, I think um, maybe there's certain categories to look at. I think uh, building on the innovation conversation, I think this whole event has proven that it's possible to completely redesign your your personnel and real estate strategy. Um, smarter companies are gonna recognize that potentially anywhere up to 50, 60% of our current real estate usage could either be repurposed or reformatted or redesigned or completely got rid of, who knows? Um, but I think as we go into the future, this really proves that the ability to deploy and distribute the organization increasingly is technologically possible 
and actually perfectly feasible from an actual business process perspective. So I see, as we look out the next five to 10 years, a growing move to distributing our workforces. And of course, that could have other side benefits from an innovation standpoint. The more that we can distribute our workforces and people, the more actually that these companies are now reconnecting with the communities they serve. For the longest time, when I actually, I may be dating myself, when I first got into this game, we still at that time had a lot, a lot of regional offices with a lot of localized contact. Technology during the first 25, 30 years centralized all that. The, the monolithic mainframes, the monolithic offices and everything. I think from a, when you look out to the future, yes, we'll look back and say, well, the pandemic was sort of the forcing function. I can see the whole thing swinging the other way and that particularly utilities can retake a role that maybe of late has, has perhaps faded a little in the background, that as they redeploy and distribute, for example, their customer care functions and other types of frontline functions, their ability to connect with their communities changes. Um, they can come up with all sorts of new innovative ways of, of achieving that. I think that relates to um, more and more tight coupling between operational systems and customer care systems in new and different ways. And I think from a utility perspective, that the ground zero there is the mobile vehicles that we use on a day-to-day -day basis. Ed already alluded to the idea of people starting from home or mobile or localized ability to use Amazon and other organizations to deliver materials. Completely different ways of designing the way we do things. So I, I believe those are gonna be some of the major areas from a sort of best practice that we'll see. And the last, the last thing I'll leave you with is, I think utilities may well be one of those other ground zeros for the creation of the first truly digital identity, where we're pulling away access management from access building control. We're pulling away OQ from HR and H, you know, EHS systems uh, and, and other traditional computer systems. I think we'll see the advent of a sort of a universal identity and digital management platform that interoperates and interacts with all these other functions. And we'll, we'll see the first truly sort of digital identity solution emerge um, coming out of our space. Ed, your thoughts? Yeah, and I want you to look into your crystal ball now too. David has done a, a wonderful job prognosticating. I echo, echo about 99% of what my good friend David just said there. Uh, a lot of it's lessons learned. I mean, at, at the end of the day, uh, you go back to January, in all fairness to our friends in the utility industry, no one could have predicted where we'd be sitting today. There's no, no way. I don't care whether you're in the utility industry, the healthcare industry, the education industry, it doesn't matter. No one could have predicted this. I think some of the lessons to look at, and, and this is going to be a, a long-term thing that you're going to deal with. Think about 9-11 and how that changed security going in and out of airports or going in and out of uh, office buildings. I mean, I grew up in the old days. I'm older than most of you, but I used to go, except for a control center, you never went uh, into a utility, a meter shop or a corporate headquarters. Anyone ever asked for your ID or anything. You just went up to the floor. You want to go visit someone. That was it. Now, you know, we've really focused on physical security very much. But I, but I think if you look over the next four or five to 20 years, I think you're going to see a total integration of the health security, totally integrated with the physical security. And David did a great job talking about that. I think you'll see changes in staffing in, in the major utilities that you'll probably have, I don't, I don't want to call him a chief medical officer, 
but you, you really are going to need someone, you think about good corporate governance of the utility, they know, they know how to manage risk in, in terms of their assets and you know, controlling costs and so forth. But think about the risk of financial outbreaks relative to pandemics. And I would not be a bit surprised to see a, a C-suite level person that's given the responsibility to put things in place like how do you manage COVID-19 response teams when it becomes COVID-20, COVID-21, et cetera. So, so I think that's going to be the reality of it is that you're, you're going to have to really marry the health solution with a physical solution and to, uh, to, uh, to really to mitigate your risk going forward. And, and that will be a new way of life, I believe, ongoing. Well, David, Ed, thank you so much for this fascinating discussion. I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I, I learned a lot talking to both of you. Thank you. And thank you. It's a great opportunity. It's we're all living with it. And, you know, that's um, well, we can't live without our good friends, in the utility industry. You know, as a lot of people said, you know, where are you focused with what uh, David and I are doing? And, and I'll tell you right now, we, uh, we've talked very much about critical infrastructure, like electric gas utilities. Uh, the next area is probably healthcare, dealing with our hospitals. And then the next uh, largest is probably in the uh, education, you know, with uh, everything from K through 12 to the public and private universities. And, you know, that normally the other thing I think you got to think about, and then we'll end at this one, we, we typically have dealt with things that have been local. And if you want to think about hurricanes to fires in California, do you name it, uh, there, there's been a band, you know, get your arms around it because it's local and it also has an ending point. So you, once you recover from it, things get back to normal. And what we're dealing with right now, uh, it is global. It is anywhere in the world you want to go from Singapore to the Philippines to Sydney to LA, it doesn't matter. We're dealing with it and there's no end in sight. And so I think that's a little bit of the new norm that we're dealing with right now. And, and we're all in it together and we've got a lot to learn as we go forward. Well, I like what you said there. I, I really think it puts into perspective the societal version of the Maslow hierarchy of needs and, and the utility industry writ large is underpins our, our economy, underpins uh, the healthcare system and even agriculture. And so it, it's with, they, they, our peers in the industry, uh, they really are on the front lines. They don't always get the credit and the recognition right. that, that they deserve uh, the way that doctors and nurses and delivery drivers and grocery store workers who should all be getting more and more thanks, but utility workers should be right there alongside of them uh, being, being thanked for, for their work. Not very Yep. David, any, any final, any final uh, thoughts from you? No, no, um, just I very much enjoyed the dialogue, as you said. Um, and as you said at the beginning, one could talk about 54 other topics beyond this. But, uh, yeah, it was great, uh, yeah. great dialogue, and uh, I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Well, well I, I, I certainly hope that, that the two of you will come back uh, and chat with me in, in a few months' time, and, and we can take a look at, at, at some of the, the additional lessons learned uh, as, as we go through that, that late summer, fall, uh, hurricane season, fire season. How has the pandemic impacted that? Uh, there will be so many more things for us to talk about. So thank you both. Uh, and and Z-Prime is ex uh, especially grateful to Black & Veatch Management Consulting, Black & Veatch, uh, and Field to Base for your partnership in exploring the future of work. Z Prime Now is produced and edited by Chris Holt. A special thanks to my colleagues Dylan Lockwood and Aaron Hardick, the host of Z Prime on the Grid. 
for Z Prime, I'm Chris Moyer. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Until the next time, stay positive and stay safe. Thank you.